As we turn to Mark chapter 6, in our series on the Gospel of Mark, we have before us basically two sections. The introduction of this section, which we are going to look at this morning, and then the actual situation of the beheading of John the Baptist, which we will look at, Lord willing, next Lord's Day. Keep that in mind in terms of that. Most of you know the story of that situation. So this morning, what I'm going to do for the sake of time is just read verses 14 through 16, which is going to be the focus this morning of the message. Mark 6, 14 through 16. Listen carefully to the word of God. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we know that many in the world raise the question, who is this Jesus? Mark has been mapping this out by the Holy Spirit as ministry to us, the church. Christ is clearly identified. We ask, O Lord, that our hearts this morning would not waver be seduced by Herod's own response. Guide us and direct us and protect us in the spirit of the living Christ. Amen. How would you tell a story to grab the attention of your audience? Gifted writers use different means to hook the reader into their story. In our day, a writer can blend his handy handwritten story into a visual movie experience, a powerful device for communicating their story and bringing their audience into the drama of their narrative. One literary device that a writer uses to hook their audience is to open by revealing very briefly the end, the end of their story first, and then proceed with a longer narrative that unfolds with more and more intensity 
as to how we got to the end of the story which he opened with in his narrative. Perhaps you have read a book or seen a movie that follows this intriguing literary device. It opens with the shocking end of the story already given. And as you are wondering how we got to this point, suddenly the book or the film switches by taking you back in time, telling you something like this. One year earlier, two weeks earlier, maybe 48 hours earlier. So that the main substance of the book or the movie unfolds mysteriously and slowly as to how the end of the story is reached, already revealed to you at the beginning of the book or the film. Well, (laughs) congregation. The text we read this morning can be said to follow this particular literary device. There you have it in chapter 6, verses 14 through 16. Mark begins by telling us the end of the story of Herod beheading John the Baptist in his narrative. Yes, in those verses, you are already told that Herod beheaded John the Baptist. But how did this happen? How did this happen? What is the story that led to Herod beheading John? Well, in verses 17 through 29, Mark unfolds the details of how John lost his head. The suspense of the story unfolds with every verse. From verse 14 all the way through verse 29, you are glued to the story. Well, Church of Christ, although Mark uses this literary device masterfully, the book that we have in front of us is not a secular novel. Nor is it a film by Hollywood. Mark's gospel is the infallible word of God. As the Holy Spirit, the Bible's primary author, carries Mark along, taking his distinct human personality and skills to record the God-breathed-out word from God himself. We are called and challenged to go into the richness of God's revelation in this text to comprehend its importance for the gospel. The importance of the gospel. The only message by which any human can be saved. What is God showing his church in this story? After all, God's providence does not present the forerunner of John the Baptist in the forerunner of the Messiah in such a pleasant situation, does he? We see the end of John's life here on earth. 
as being that which is gruesome, quite gruesome, for the one who is the forerunner of the Messiah. Why would God's providence direct John to this end as the one who is specially chosen to prepare the world for the coming of the Messiah, the Son of God. What a gruesome end on earth for John. Well, if we concentrate on the flow of Mark's narrative and we have grasped some of the literary structures of his gospel thus far, Some answers will reveal itself, although we will never grasp the comprehensive reasons of God's providence in the life of John the Baptist. Immediately, we need to notice that there is a connection with Jesus commissioning his apostles to proclaim the gospel of the repentance, to cast out demons, to heal the sick, all in the name of Jesus, the Son of God. Look closely, look closely at the first verse there in Mark 6, 14. King Herod heard of it. Heard of what? Heard of what? The reference here is directly back to the apostles being sent out. Their gospel activity of the kingdom of God has reached the ears of Herod. Even more specifically, Jesus' name had become known and Herod was not out of the loop. He had heard about Jesus. But what is the word that This Jesus is. Who is he? What is the Jewish world saying about the identity of Jesus Christ? What is the word on the street about this particular person? Who is he? What is his identity that even has come to the ears of Herod? Well... Three responses are buzzing through the Jewish world. What are they? Some say John the Baptist, raised from the dead. And since he has been raised from the dead, he has the means to do miraculous powers. Others claim that he is Elijah who in the final book of the Old Testament scriptures, Malachi has prophesied to usher in the coming of the Messiah. Others suggest that he is a prophet like one of the Old Testament prophets. Congregation, please note the responses here about who Jesus is. You will see them again later in this gospel in the context of Peter's famous confession. Chapter 8, 
verses 27 through 30. Meanwhile, concerning our immediate text, the gospel is going out by the apostles, commissioned by Jesus. Do not miss the flow of the text. Remember the sandwich illustration, the two slices of outer bread. The one slice, verses 7 through 13. The other slice is 630. And in the middle is this section that we are talking about before us this morning. Verses 14 through 29. As the apostles go out, some districts of the Roman world have heard about Jesus. And they hear about his identity in terms of the Jewish interpretation. To repeat, John the Baptist has returned from the dead. Elijah, or one like an Old Testament prophet. These Jewish interpretations have made their way into the court in presence of Herod. So who is this Herod? Who is this Herod that appears in our text? Do you know who he is? The Herod in our text is Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great. Herod the Great died in 4 BC. He is the Herod spoken about at the birth of Christ that Matthew's gospel references. As you recall, the wise men reported that the king of the Jews, Jesus, was to be born in Bethlehem. In response to this news, Herod the Great considered Jesus a threat to his own rule. Hence, he ordered all male infants under two years old in Bethlehem and in the region to be killed. However, the life of Jesus was preserved by an angel of the Lord appearing to Joseph, telling him to take the babe and marry to Egypt. When Herod the Great died in 4 BC, an angel reappeared to Joseph in Egypt and told him it was now safe for him and Mary and the child to return to Nazareth, to go home. At this point, Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great, began his reign in the region of Galilee and Perea. And his reign lasted to 39 AD. John's imprisonment began around 25 AD. If you have forgotten, Mark speaks of John's imprisonment occurring just prior to Jesus' earthly ministry. If you wish, turn once again back to make this point and see this point to Mark 1, 14 and 15. Here is what Mark records in his gospel. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. In terms of God's providence in which the Messiah 
will burst upon the scene with the message and activity of the kingdom of God. All three Gospels, Mark, Matthew, as well as Luke, will specifically mention that the Baptist is imprisoned by Herod prior to the beginning of Jesus' formal ministry. God's providence is stressing by placing John's imprisonment prior to Christ's ministry that the end of the old covenant has come. And the beginning of the new covenant has begun in the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, has arrived. As soon as Jesus begins his ministry, there is to be no doubt that the one coming after John the Baptist, no doubt, the one coming after John the Baptist is mightier than he. The strap of whose sandals John is not worthy to stoop down and untie. And why was John arrested? Why was John arrested? John was arrested to the benefit to benefit the anger of Herodias. She is the chief instigator in John's arrest. Herod had married Herodias, who was already married to Herod's brother Philip, as Philip remained alive. John did not hesitate to speak out strongly against this evil act of sin between Herod and Herodias. In fact, John applied the creation mandate for marriage, be joined and come together as one flesh, as well as the Jewish Levitical law to the sin of this Roman ruler, this adulterer and his adulterous wife. So as we return to the Jewish presentations about the identity of who Jesus is and that we know that Mark organizes his narrative with the final end of John's life being known at the beginning of our text. We are informed about Herod's own belief as to who he actually thinks Jesus is. Did you see it? Did you notice it in the text? Who does Herod actually believe himself concerning who Jesus is? Verse 16, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. Herod rejects those other two Jewish Jewish options, that he is Elijah, or one of the prophets, rather overcome 
by, uh, by some ancient, mythical, magical superstition. He believed that Jesus has come back from the dead to haunt him in the figure of Jesus. Such a belief about John testifies that Herod seemed to have no prior knowledge of Jesus' life before he arrested and beheaded John. Hence, he came to believe that John was haunting him in this particular Jesus person. But do not miss that Mark's focus and concern here for his readers in verses 14 through 16 is the identity, the identity of Jesus. Keep your own heart and faith in focus here. In the context of the apostles being sent out and the advance of the gospel message into the world, Mark is directing his reader to the identity of Jesus within the drama of Herod and John the Baptist. Who is Jesus. Yes. The good news in Jesus Christ is going into the world. And how is the world going to respond? Seeing the setup. You're seeing the context here in the text in terms of how Mark is setting up his narrative. Apostles have been set out. They will return the message of Christ in verse 30. This is right in the middle. How is the world going to respond? Herod is one of Mark's serious and candid examples of how the world responds to the gospel. As the gospel message and activity goes into the world facing this Roman ruler, all the Jewish interpretations of the identity of Jesus, according to Mark, are false. Are false. John being raised from the dead. That Jesus is Elijah or one of the prophets. All are false. Mark The gospel of the evangelist has clearly presented to his reader the identity of the, the evangelist, Jesus Christ, 
the Son of God in his messianic kingdom message and activity. How can any serious reader, listener, miss it up to this point in Mark's gospel? How well have you been tuned in in listening to the Holy Spirit's instruction of Mark? Concerning the identity of Jesus. Indeed, Mark has presented a clear and persuasive picture of Jesus' identity from the very first verse of his gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Do you have ears to hear? Eyes to see. And a heart to spiritually understand what the Holy Spirit is presenting on these pages in Mark's gospel. Do you got it? Do you believe it? Going forward, the God of heaven and earth. Jesus' heavenly father at his baptism declared that he is my beloved son in whom he is well pleased as the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. His father in heaven has identified him. Do you got it? Do you believe it? Congregation prior to our text this morning, Mark has repeatedly presented that the demons know Jesus' identity. They say the following, the Holy One of God, you are the Son of God, the Most High God. Do you got it? Do you believe it? All his activity verifies his identity as God's only son, preaching the gospel of God, declaring that the long-awaited Messiah has come in his kingdom. Repent and believe the gospel, calling disciples and apostles to follow him into a world of hostility, showing his sovereign power and authority over Satan and his companions, showing his sovereign power and authority over the ailments of physical health, which even included the resurrection of Jairus' daughter, as well as the various ailments that were viewed as making a person socially or religiously unclean, according to the Old Testament. Yes, Jesus even had the power and authority to forgive sin. Yes, to cleanse the slate, the debt of the sinner, absolutely clean. Jesus would even recline and eat with sinners because he, in his words, 
They needed a physician. He was that physician whom they needed. And do not allow your ears to be deaf, your eyes blind, and your hearts hard to the fact that his power and authority even extends over nature. Yes, even the wind and the sea obey him. Moreover, he and his disciples do not fast. Why? Because the bridegroom of the eternal wedding feast is presently busy nurturing the initial apostles of his bride, his church. Jesus even plucks heads of grain on the Sabbath with his disciples because he is the Son of Man, the Lord of the Sabbath. Do you got all this? Has it been registering on your heart? Do you believe it? Finally, you must not miss that his teaching and preaching far exceeds the wisdom and the authority of those who were scribes. Mark makes this point most vivid when he crystallizes Jesus' teaching and preaching in one form to his reader. Only one form does he present the teaching and preaching of Jesus. The parables. Those parables present the realistic outcome of belief and unbelief to the good news as proclaimed and explained in the parable of the sower. Mark also presents the eternal importance and growth of the kingdom of God as it comes in blessing and in judgment. Do you got it? Do you believe in the gospel message? found in Jesus' parables. As the apostles are sent out, it is clear from Mark's presentation who Jesus is. There should be no doubt by the time you come into the sixth chapter of Mark about the identity of Jesus Christ. Unless you suppress in unrighteousness the gospel truth found only in saving faith, you will miss Mark's clear message. Even so, as the apostles go forth, they will be confronted with the suppression of the truth. 
in the case of our text, the dominance of the Jewish false interpretations of Jesus' identity that has, e- has even percolated into the Gentile Roman world. Even that false identity of Jesus has percolated to the very palace and reign of Herod. As Herod embraces one of the Jewish false interpretations, Mark will present the correct conclusion later in his gospel from the lips of one of his apostles. Yes, in the same context of discussing the three Jewish options, Peter will confess correctly, congregation. They will confess correctly, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. Do you got it? Do you believe it? Is the true identity of Jesus riveted upon your lips and in your heart this morning? Do you live daily in repentance and faith? In Jesus Christ. Let's pray for help from the Spirit. Our Lord and our God, we ask that thy Spirit would continue to give us life in Christ that we do understand the identity of Christ in opposition to those who deny who he is, who give false interpretations. And may thy spirit continue to work in our life of sanctification in a way in which we always bring forth each day, the fruits of repentance and faith in Christ. Bless us as thy people. In Christ's name, amen.